Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 13th of January 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish, and we're delighted to have Alex Thompson with us. Alex, of course, bringing us Eastern approaches from the Netherlands. Um, well, we've got to get straight back into statistics, Mike, because this really is an information war over COVID. Well, the ONS didn't uh, provide full uh, set of statistics last Tuesday, but uh, yesterday, uh, we're back uh, on song. So uh, let's have a look at the latest excess mortality statistics. Now, uh, first of all, we'll put on this again. That's week 13 when the uh, lockdown began, uh, resulting in what we're calling lockdown deaths. Uh, we'll sort of describe a little bit more about this in a moment, uh, about why we're calling these lockdown deaths. Uh, but if we look over at the uh, right-hand side here, um, the, the last week in particular is showing a, a fall uh, in the number of deaths and perhaps a widening uh, between the excess and the five-year average. The red line, remember, is the excess mortality or this year's all-cause mortality and the, uh, and the orange line, the five-year average. So whenever the red line's above the orange line, that's showing some excess deaths. Uh, week 52, of course, Christmas period, the reporting isn't uh, quite accurate or quite right, so you can ignore that one probably. But, you know, to the left of that, the, the several weeks that we've been experiencing uh, since September, October time, Brian, we're not seeing anything like the excess uh, mortality that was seen in April, May time, uh, but we're going for an even stronger lockdown, it sounds like, potentially. Yeah, uh, the, the overall message in the media is all about deaths and chaos and we can't cope and the NHS is back at breaking point. Uh, these statistics show us something rather different. Yes, so let's look at uh, where people are dying, uh, as we've shown previously. Um, there is excess mortality in hospitals, a little bit in care homes at the moment, uh, but still significant uh, numbers of people dying in their own homes, which means they're not getting uh, proper medical treatment. Uh, and uh, in other locations, it's below the, uh, the five-year average. Um, so that's the situation at the moment, uh, as far as the Office for National Statistics is concerned. Um, and, uh, but the question is, are, is the excess mortality anything unusual? And we're going to come on to that in just a moment. In the meantime, uh, of course, if you remember, one of the reasons we were calling uh, the excess mortality in April-May time lockdown deaths was because people were being sent home from hospitals in order to protect the NHS. Uh, this, of course, the government's language, not ours. Um, and they were also being sent back to care homes with indeterminate uh, health status and care homes uh, not getting the medical support that they needed. Plus, of course, the in institution of uh, blanket do not resuscitate orders uh, resulted in quite a lot of those lockdown deaths. Uh, but the Telegraph then reporting uh, today that thousands of patients sent to hotels to free hospital beds for COVID. Now, um, Matt Hancock on Radio 4 this morning was suggesting that this was a sort of a plan B to send uh, people that have recovered from COVID uh, out of uh, hotels, uh, out of hospitals into hotels, uh, that that isn't actually what they're doing yet. But nonetheless, the report uh, from The Telegraph here is talking about the home and hotel plan will see patients released early en masse to relieve pressure on NHS services. So are we going to be looking at uh, an uptick in excess mortality as a result of that? That's certainly what we saw earlier in, in 2020. Uh, we need to wait and see. Uh, but uh, let's have a look at this article from the BBC. I thought this headline was absolutely spectacular. The headline is COVID 2020 saw most excess deaths since World War II. And I'm afraid, BBC, uh, this is what we have to say. This is unbelievable fake news um, and uh, well in fact the BBC acknowledges that even in their own report uh, because what they actually go on to say is on one hand excess deaths are at their highest since World War II while on the other death rates once age and size of population are taken into account are at their worst level for a little over a decade only. Um, even that isn't quite correct because if you actually look at the age standardized mortality rates which you can find on the Office for National Statistics uh, website, uh, age standardized mortality rates takes into account age changes over periods of time and also population size changes over periods of time. Uh, and uh, they do indeed say that uh, excess mortality is the worst in 10 years, but actually they publish the figures to 20 years. Uh, and if you take into account a 20 year period, then 2020, 2021 is only ninth on the list of, yeah. uh, of excess mortality. 
Um, so this an absolutely egregious piece of propaganda from the BBC. And, and they're using the fact that people are skim reading things, aren't they? So it's the headlines that capture people's immediate attention. You're busy, perhaps you're on your way to work or you're on a bus or whatever. You just get that headline. That's the bit that drills into people's heads and then buried away in the text. They may or may not put the truth. So this is very carefully calculated BBC propaganda. Yes. Um, and uh, well, uh, good news, Brian, or is it? Uh, flu vaccine, the, the government is reporting the largest uptake in flu vaccine this year. NHS England, NHS Improvement, Public Health England and the Secret Secretary of State for Health and Social Care are thanking NHS staff for their incredible work in achieving some of the highest ever vaccination rates for flu. Despite the, com despite the complexities of rolling out the largest national NHS flu immunisation programme uh, since uh, during a COVID-19 winter, uh, NHS staff have vaccinated a record 80.3% of those aged 65 and over in England against flu so far this year. Uh, and they also are very happy that uh, amongst two and three-year-old children, it's also the highest ever recorded at 54% and 56.5% respectively. Um, but there's an issue with this and it's an issue that's been expressed on uh, UK column programmes for many, many years, not only uh, on UK column news by Dr. Graham Downing, but also uh, on uh, the Humanity versus Insanity programmes that Ian Crane was producing. Uh, and that is that, of course, if you're vaccinated uh, for one uh, particular uh, illness, there's a potential that it can increase your susceptibility to other uh, uh, similar illnesses. And so let's just uh, bring this on screen. This is a quote from a, uh, a BMJ uh, response. Uh, what did we learn from Tamiflu? And uh, the comment says, we hear so much about the vital importance of flu shots uh, that it will come as a nasty surprise to learn that they increase the risk of illnesses from non-influenza virus infections such as rhinoviruses, coronaviruses, RS viruses, para-influenza viruses, uh, adenoviruses, HMP viruses, and enteroviruses. So that's something to keep in mind as we move through this. Another- uh, Can we, we just stress there, Mike, that this is the British Medical Journal again. So this is about as official as you as you could get. Well, well, not, we'll... Not, not quite, Brian, because this, this is published in the British Medical Journal, but it is from, uh, it's not from somebody of, directly affiliated with no, the British- No, but by the fact it it's is published, a, yes. this is, this is a, this is a a reputable um, a medical journal which has said, yeah, we're going to publish this. Right, so, yeah. right. And, and here's another one. Uh, this is from Even COVID-19 Can't Kill the Anti-Vaccination Movement. Uh, and it's another, it's a rapid response to uh, that article. And the point that's being made here is, I quote, it has recently come to light that the countries with the highest COVID-19 death rates also have the highest rates of influenza vaccine uptake amongst the elderly. Well, um, Brian, uh, we have uh, uh, been speaking to people today um, who are doing some research on this, uh, and we're going to make this statement. Uh, there appears to be a strong correlation when you look at the data between flu vaccine uptake and SARS-CoV-2 case numbers. So if you look at the, at the data and you go down to the local level, uh, where there's been the strongest uh, uptake in flu vaccinations, in cities and so on around the country, uh, there seems to be a correlation between that uh, and the case numbers that are being reported for coronavirus. Now, Alex, uh, let's welcome you to the programme just to uh, add a little input here. Um, of course, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, but it does seem a bit of a coincidence. For those who have been cheated, even in their elite schooling these days, out of some logic training, Correlation is the aha moment that says something is fishy here. It's the beginning, not the end uh, of your investigations. It's a, it's a flag that says, please investigate me. And uh, particularly in logic, what we're getting, uh, feeling the lack of, even in medical uh, specialisms and even legal specialisms now, is the two kinds of proof. Once you have uh, seen that something is sufficient to prove your case, you then have to also go to the higher evidentiary standard of saying this necessarily entails our conclusion. It necessarily proves the case. Uh, so we're not making out that flu vaccine here is causing uh, the SARS-CoV-2 numbers, not at all. Uh, but we are seeing that there is, uh, shall we say, a mix here. 
which is only really addressed by people thinking in terms of first principles and opening their minds to the possibility uh, that not everything accredited to vaccination is a direct consequence of vaccination. Uh, it, this was even mentioned uh, in the uh, wake of the Tamiflu uh, H5N1 scandal in 2009 uh, by Theodore Dalrymple, himself at the other end of medicine in prison psychology. Uh, Theodore Dalrymple gave a speech then on, uh, uh, found on YouTube, I think with a title like The Tyranny of Public Health, uh, in which he uh, talked about this actually uh, in, in quite some detail and the basis of it that he came to was that if you have the power to define health and Ill, Ill health as the World Health Organization does and it swung into high gear after 2009 then you can almost effectively declare everyone in the world ill. Uh, I know that this is not a medical or vaccination specific response here but these are some of the parameters we're playing with uh, that the many of those reading the BMJ for professional purposes may not even be up to speed on the first principles of logic going on here. Mm. Okay thank you for that Alex. Well overall we are perceiving that the BBC is very very unsettled at the moment and if you look at the articles that they're pumping out increased rhetoric over the deaths uh, more and more coming out about the fact that if we the public don't behave ourselves the NHS is going to collapse that will be our fault people will die so the BBC um, pumping out propaganda we came across this video clip uh, talking about a doctor who apparently receives 20 to 30 abusive messages a day note that there's a warning about strong language on the uh, on the um, image there from the BBC which is ironic that the BBC of course puts out plenty of bad language in its normal programs but here they have to get a warning up on the screen so let's have a listen to this video clip and it has a very interesting twist at the end who's dying you chose your job deal with it I love the way you NHS workers think you have the right to boss us around like we're selfish for breathing you don't give a damn about our lives. I'm not responsible for anyone's health except my own. I couldn't care less who I apparently murder by not wearing a mask off and die. Hello, I'm Sammy. I have been a doctor for about 10 years in the NHS. We've actually had quite a lot of abuse, particularly on social media. It's mainly around that COVID is, is somehow a, a hoax or a conspiracy. So people just not believing NHS staff who are trying to speak up about how bad things are on the front line at the moment. I've had somewhere between 20 to 30 abusive messages a day and that's been everything from um, swearing and calling me names to saying well I don't care who's dying you can't tell me what to do and that's really hard when actually you're giving your all to try and save patients on the front line when things are so difficult when you are working all the hours that God sends and there are some people who don't support you. I cannot tell you how much this has devastated morale. I had a junior doctor who was working in A&E said I really I really don't want to go in. It's because there was a horde of people who were telling me that Covid was a hoax and shouting at me and I was half broken. So I started this campaign I just thought what's a really good way of having a visual representation of support for NHS staff. Wouldn't it be really lovely if people could just post, you know, a load of blue hearts for all of our NHS staff? I never thought in a million years it would catch on, but it did. We ended up trending number one in the UK. I did end up having, having a little sob. Now I've seen people like Gary Lineker, Hugh Grant, Sue Perkins. Most people are firmly in our corner and have wanted to show that. NHS staff really needed that tidal wave of support. We just want to keep you safe. We just want you, know, you to stay at home. And I just don't want you to end up in my intensive care unit. I really don't. So there we are, just a fascinating video. Look how carefully that was put together. It was based on hearsay. 
one anonymous comment read out presumably by a BBC actress so there was no factual evidence of this abuse there was simply a reference to that then we had the carefully um, uh, set up music in the background the emotive music uh, we had this doctor almost getting the tears to her eyes at one stage she was talking about nearly having breakdown but not to worry because the solution to all of this crisis in the nhs is we're going to post blue hearts this sounds like a very professional response to the problem and to back up that program we're going to bring in the footballers we're going to bring in gary lineker we're going to bring in hugh grant who appears to be a nun by his twitter page but maybe i got that wrong um, and you are going to stay at home in order to make sure I can do my job as a nurse and just make sure you don't come near my ICU uh, unit. Alex, I'm going to say, um, haven't got to the warnings at the end of that video, but this is very carefully choreographed piece of film by the BBC. And it seemed to me this was more than just an ordinary uh, doctor who could have been simply could simply have been interviewed to explain what she's experienced. What do you make of this? Well, she has the elocution, she's photogenic, uh, she controls her facial muscles very well uh, in, in an actorish way. I'm not going to suggest she is a professional actress, um, but she has been carefully picked for that role. Um, it's interesting that this dovetails so well with what we're going to be trailing later in this news today, uh, a long Irish interview with John Anthony, an NLP specialist, uh, just about that very uh, detailed point of how health service people are held up as the authority. Uh, in fact, they're called flying monkeys in this long interview, uh, who are to tell you what the, what the government wants you to do. We just want you to stay at home. Uh, she didn't have an answer to the specific point, made in, in, in rude language, okay, but, but not in unlawful or, or against British traditions, uh, that you don't have a right to tell me what to do and I'm responsible only for my own health, uh, which is correct, ethical, lawful, moral, historical and constitutional. Uh, there's, there's no response uh, to that, really. And I was baffled at the end by the seeding in uh, of a quotation from, I think it was a deputy chief constable of one of Britain's constabularies, saying that if you are, don't care, and aren't careful, you'll lose family and friends. That's probably him suggesting that people will die of COVID. Uh, and we'll take enforcement action. Uh, is this a diluted phrase, a bit like when you can't call juice, juice, and so you have to call it a juice drink because it's been diluted? And then a couple of slides later in the same presentation, Twitter is saying we will take enforcement action. Uh, you know, what is going on there? Is, is it a, a law enforcement step? Is, is Twitter the police? Is the police Twitter? Uh, where has this phrase come from all of a sudden? It's, well, it's a bit unusual. Uh, Alex, um, you... you obviously caught all the main bits there and, and uh, the the twist at the end with a threat from the police and then another threat effectively from Twitter says that this isn't a, a, a BBC interview with a doctor this is actually a staged piece of government policy advice being put out with threats but I did a little bit of research on the doctor in question let's bring her up on screen here she is connected with this organization in fact she's president of it the doctors association uk which apparently popped up in 2018 and uh, let's have a look sammy previously held a role with the bma and a seat on the lnc is passionate about the nhs she's been interviewed on national television appearing on the bbc itv channel 4 channel 5 sky news a regular guest on good morning britain in addition sammy is a frequent guest on national radio including bbc radio 4 today uh, P, uh, pm bbc radio 5 live and lbc she's also written for the times the sunday times the independent the metro the guardian the bmj so i'm going to say this lady is effectively a spokesperson for the bbc and the mainstream media and i think she's helped to put together what is essentially a government propaganda piece to try and warn off the public from answering asking too many questions uh, but her organization this is the doctors association tweeted out this image which i found fascinating we're overwhelmed that people are asking what they can do to support us after today's uh, declaration of a major incident in london we're run by volunteer NHS staff who are all working on the front line this pandemic. But it was the image that caught my attention. 
And I picked up these things. Now, whether the audience agrees with me or not, I don't know. But that's, this is what I got out of that image. I got aggression. I got fighting. I got the color of blood. I got fists. I got staring, threatening eyes, a masked face, a woman in the lead. But that was all with dirtiness, unkempt hair, confusion, and a general sinister image. So I don't think that the people who are putting together these images and putting together these film clips with the BBC have our best interests at heart. I think this is very carefully um, applied social and psychological engineering. So we'll expect to see more from the BBC, I think. Uh, and of course, uh, one of the things the BBC has been very uh, upset about over the last few days is people going into hospitals and with a camera and uh, filming what appear to be empty corridors and so on uh, and empty A&E departments. Uh, so they're very excited that four more people have been arrested over public nuisance at Redditch and Birmingham hospitals. Uh, this is men aged between 31 to 37, they say. They're held in relation to incidents in Birmingham, Worcestershire between the 31st of December and the 9th of January. Uh, and uh, this was to do with uh, the videos uh, claiming, this is what the BBC says, claiming COVID-19 is a hoax uh, and uh, uh, showing empty hospital corridors on social media. So those people have been, uh, have been arrested. We don't know any names at this point and we'll see whether any of these charges actually stand at the end of the day. Yeah, interesting stuff. Dare to go near a hospital with a camera. Okay. Uh, anybody would say you don't want to be filming people in their beds that would be totally wrong but to be able to film in a hospital to show whether it's full and uh, fully occupied or not is a completely different thing but obviously um, Sir Simon Stevens chief executive of NHS England has also got his knickers in a twist over this have a listen to this little video clip where he's talking alongside Boris Johnson and a uh, combat fatigue clad army officer if you sneak into a hospital in an empty corridor at nine o'clock at night and film that particular corridor and then stick it up on social media and say this proves the hospitals are empty the whole thing is a hoax you are not only responsible for potentially uh, changing behavior that will kill people but it is an insult to the uh, nurse coming home from 12 hours in critical care having worked her guts out under the most demanding and trying of circumstances there is nothing more demoralizing than having that kind of nonsense spouted when it is most obviously untrue and so actually looking at some of the reports that uh, Channel 4 and dare I say it uh, BBC Fergus Walsh had a brilliant report last night from uh, University College hospitals the same has been true for ITV Sky I mean you are reporting what is actually going on that is what people need to concentrate on I mean the situation in London uh, as well as across so we'll cut it there. So, so this man is desperately upset. This is the man whose organisation is now admitted it's not putting out the full information, the full statistics and data as to what's going on in the NHS. No, that's not being put out. The, the general public are not being given that, but dare go near the hospitals to, to report what's actually happening. And he's getting very upset. And what did he say? He said... All you've got to do is watch, listen, pay attention and obey the mainstream media. Uh, he's there talking to a television screen, which I thought was quite appropriate, Mike. Um, Brian, the thing that really <laughs> struck me about what he just said was he was accusing those uh, going into hospitals with their mobile phones and filming of potentially changing people's behaviour, which result in killing people. Now, I think it was the UK column which initially broke uh, the Spy B documentation, which was absolutely describing how in order to get people to comply with the government's desire to see us locked down and so on, that they would that they would use the mainstream media to increase levels of fear in the population. And it is very easy to show that that resulted in people changing their behaviour, not getting the medical treatment that they needed, and that resulted in much of the excess mortality that happened in April and May time. So Sir, Sir Simon Stevens is at the very least an utter hypocrite here, uh, but I think he's got some very serious questions to answer uh, over that statement. Uh, and in particular, damage being done to people's mental health as a result of the policies which he is fully supporting. 
I think I'm correct in saying that he was an advisor on medical or NHS matters to the government for some seven years to the prime minister. So he's worked at very high level, but doesn't want to put, put out the true information and data for the NHS. That's all being withheld. That's what the NHS says itself. And yet we have this statement. And the army there in fatigues, Mike, trying to look macho, uh, not there in normal, sensible uniform as the army. No, we've got to put combat fatigues on to uh, cope with COVID. None of the three wearing masks. So um, the whole thing, total hypocrisy. Uh, now, uh, one of the questions that we've been asking for the last few months has been whether there would be mandatory vaccination or not. And of course, the government denying that vaccination would be mandatory. Uh, but our point has been, well, it doesn't really matter whether the government makes it uh, mandatory in a legal sense. If, if when we interface with corporations or shops or uh, pubs or anything else that we have to interface with, that there's a requirement for us to be vaccinated, then that's effectively mandatory, whether it's in law or not. Uh, first step to that, of course, might not be vaccines, but perhaps something else. Um, and so it's perhaps no surprise to everybody uh, that Sainsbury's, uh, the supermarket, has decided uh, that uh, they are going to enforce mask wearing to a much stronger degree than they did last year. Uh, and so they sent an email out to all their customers uh, and this is part of what it said. When shopping in our stores, you must wear a mask or visor unless you have a medical exemption and you should also shop on your own. Thank you for your support. But it then went on to say this. Uh, security guards will support our colleagues in front of store and will challenge customers who are not wearing masks or who are shopping in groups. Now, of course, uh, the question is how well trained will these security guards be? Uh, will they respect people's medical exemptions? Uh, and people are left in a very difficult position because it, it isn't possible to get a sort of a, a, an official NHS medical exemption. The best you can do is print something off uh, the UK government website and it's really up to the uh, particular security guard or the particular shop to decide whether they're going to accept that or not. Uh, Tesco in the mainstream press was getting a softer, softer treatment. Uh, because, uh, But actually, when you look at what they said, it isn't really any different. To protect our customers and colleagues, we won't let anyone into our stores who's not wearing a face covering unless they're exempt in line with government guidance. Um, Aldi, uh, they said customers are encouraged to comply, so it's not mandatory at Aldi uh, with the government guidelines and face coverings. But, but like other retailers, our colleagues are not able to enforce these rules. Well, Aldi might have that view, but certainly uh, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, uh, Asda and uh, others seem to be fairly certain that they can enforce these rules. Um, so, but uh, Alex, of course, this, this, is, this is essential items. This is food shopping. So uh, the question is, what kind of chilling effect this is going to have on people? Are people going to, like they haven't been going to get medical treatment as a result of uh, various information in the press driving up fear? Are the people, is this going to put people off going to get what they need? It's difficult for the likes of you and me maybe to uh, imagine, Mike, how much of a chilling effect this has on the, the most vulnerable, people who feel that they're starting to lose their mental acuity, those who are a bit timorous anyway. Uh, it can be absolutely overwhelming uh, to be confronted with, you know, let, let's use the right language, an oafish. I think a newer word is chavy security guard. I know they're not all like that, but uh, a darn sight more of them are than used to be. And the same applies to the police, of course, who are often called to these situations. Inevitably, it's going to have a chilling effect over on the continent where Aldi is headquartered in Germany. Uh, the police just grab people by the neck uh, as they protest. I have a medical exemption. And in many films that have uh, seen the light of day, drag them out bodily with or without the aid of truncheons. So, yes, of course, it's going to have a chilling effect. Yes. Yes. OK, well, um, this is uh, the Cyprus Mail now, and uh, they are certainly coming out a mainstream media outlet coming out against lockdown there. But what is the situation in Cyprus at the moment? People have for a while had to have a text message permission, as in Greece, I believe, and some other southern European countries, to leave their house. And they've been given just a couple of opportunities per day to do that. Uh, but the Cyprus Mail is, uh, if I'm uh, correct, the second uh, or one of the two largest English-speaking titles in Cyprus. And Cyprus is, as well as being a Greek-speaking country, an English-speaking country. It's a member of the Commonwealth as well as of the European Union. Uh, and the Cypriots uh, are well-educated, and many of them read not just English and Greek, but Russian or French as well. And as we showed recently with high rates of vaccine scepticism in French West Africa, 
where people are able to read uh, a diversity uh, of information, particularly about vaccination and its effectiveness in different specific scenarios, they are likely to have a broader spectrum uh, of attitudes towards the efficacy of vaccines and indeed the uh, the wisdom or otherwise of lockdown as a whole. Uh, so kudos to the Cyprus Mail that they have kept this editorial line going on so long. They are definitely not uh, an alternative platform. They're very much in the mainstream. And these two pieces, 2020 reviewed, they took away our freedom and we allowed them. And our view, SMS permission system, violation of our liberties, contains plenty of strong language such as brutal and infantilization. They're not pulling any punches there. Yeah. yeah, it's a serious state of affairs. There's no doubt about it. Um, OK, if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then uh, you can do so at ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us out there and we'd very much uh, enjoy your company in the community there. And uh, also just to remind everybody that we are on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, BitChute. Uh, we're streaming out on DLive again today, so we'll have that on this list in the very near future. Um, but... Uh, your support to share anything that uh, that appears on those channels uh, would be very much appreciated as well. And particularly as we're about to come on to censorship in a few minutes, um, it's going to be increasingly needed. Indeed. Uh, we've got a special report coming up, Mike. Uh, yes, uh, a special report uh, this afternoon. We're going to aim to do this at 3 p.m. this afternoon, give or take five or ten minutes, but it will be live streamed out on the usual channels. Um, so... Uh, We've got Mr. Eric Levy arrested by the police at the Assange demonstration. Yes, and uh, we're very much looking forward to speaking to him. Yeah, excellent. Right, I also say a big thank you to UK Column members, supporters, readers, listeners who followed through on the video that uh, Alex uh, Thompson and myself did on the psychological attack on the UK. Um, Alex, you told me before the start of the news where we were up to with views, and that's gone straight out of my head. Can you remind me? We're over 20,000 now, I think. It was between 21 and 22,000 the last time I looked, which is really something, but it also shows how vulnerable we would be to any loss of the YouTube channel, uh, because uh, you know only a couple of hundred people have gone through the article uh, and uh, clicked through to the different version of the same upload that's embedded there, which gives us a very good reference point to its only natural human behavior. People are taking this from uh, their alerts or from shares on social media. Uh, to, it, but we have had a great depth of response to this. You might want to outline for those who haven't found it yet what we're talking about there. Well, um, I won't give too much because we're tight for, news, uh, tight for time on this news. But essentially, uh, we are, we're starting to pick apart what is happening, what's causing the chaos in UK, what's causing the breakdown, how is this psychological attack with the government working? Alex and I start off by going right back to look at some of the warnings we were given by Soviet dissenters and some of the excellent information put in Christopher Storey's book, The EU Collective Enemy of Its Member States. Uh, but uh, this is only the first part of a series. And I've got to say, we're absolutely delighted by the comments that people have made because we really seem to have struck a chord with um, showing people uh, where this material has come from and what to look for as we experience this breakdown in the state. And of course, you can't fight what you can't see. So what we're saying to people straight away is if we can show what is happening, how the attack works, then people are going to be much better placed to counter it and deal with it. Um, OK, so uh, here's Christina Dick, who's the uh, chief constable of the Metropolitan Police, of course, uh, and uh, she's really suggesting that the police are going to start to become a lot more heavy handed with respect to uh, COVID lockdown and so on. Uh, anyone breaking COVID laws is increasingly likely to face fines, she said, uh, but she was uh, really stressing the fact that the police are going to start enforcing more. Uh, but uh, she wasn't the only person speaking out in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Uh, let's just have a quick listen to what Priti Patel said in the uh, COVID, recent COVID briefing. And I want to say thank you to the millions of people who are putting our country's collective health first. To everyone who has put off seeing their parents, grandparents, their loved ones, their vulnerable loved ones, thank you. You have helped to stop the spread of the virus and save lives. Our ability to get through the coming weeks and months depends on each and every one of us contributing to what is truly a national effort. But a minority of people are putting the health of the nation at risk 
by not following the rules. That is why the Secretary of State for Local Government has today talked to councils about the role that they have to play in enforcing the rules and in saving lives. And our police officers are now moving more quickly to issuing the fines where people are clearly breaching coronavirus regulations. Nearly 45,000 fixed penalty notices have been issued across the United Kingdom. So my message today to anyone refusing to do the right thing is simple. If you do not play your part, our selfless police officers who are out there risking their own lives every day to keep us safe, they will enforce the regulations. And I will back them to do so, to protect our NHS and to save lives. Well, I'm sure they're delighted that uh, she has their back. Um, but Alex, uh, it does interest me that uh, she doesn't seem to know what the difference is between a fine and a fixed penalty notice. No, of course, David Scott spoken about that eloquently in the past uh, and the different routes to court that you have with them. Uh, but likewise, she doesn't seem to understand the difference between law, policy and guidance. She's not using any of those three terms. She's using this continental style word, uh, the rules, twice in that clip. And then she finally says the regulations, a world word foreign to common law. Uh, it's, it's remarkable how much this is following uh, the article which I'm about to uh, talk about, actually, because all the techniques are there. Uh, described in minute detail. Uh, it's quite astonishing. People are going to have to print out the article I'm about to talk about, which is forthcoming on the website, and read it, I would say, every every day for a few days to, to absorb it all. Uh, so let me just uh, introduce that by showing a recent tweet by David Scott, uh, talking about the latest government advice, fear, obey and clap. And obviously this is satire, but uh, you know it's, it's pretty much what we are being told to do. And Ireland is very much in the same mould there. And this is a springboard to talk about uh, this article, which is with John Anthony, uh, a hypnotherapist. Uh, and I think he's disenchanted with neuro-linguistic programming now. But he's talking to Dave Cullen of Computing Forever. Uh, it's an uh, interview which actually came out in October last year. I remember pricking up my ears and thinking, that interview is gold dust, but it's, it was conducted down a phone line with lots of Irish idiom, and it would be difficult for foreign uh, listeners uh, to wade their way through it in, in many cases, or they would, they would uh, perhaps give up because the automatic trans the subtitles weren't, weren't performing well. So uh, many thanks to lots of Irish uh, viewers and listeners who have uh, formed a team to transcribe this extremely long and important interview, and also to a viewer who's just 12 uh, in Downpatrick, James Lavery, who supplied us a couple of uh, cartoons bringing out the essence of what John Anthony is telling us, uh, which is the, uh, shall we say, the psycho-dissection of everything that we've been talking about in all the segments today. Uh, he, he has given his master cartoon, which we have chopped up and put in bits in the forthcoming article, called Psychological Abuse, How It Works. And people can freeze that screen uh, or screenshot it, but we're going to go through the individual bits now uh, in this cycle. So John Anthony uh, explains in this uh, article that as he's been listening to Irish media, which is just like the um, the NHS BBC conglomerate that we've been talking about in earlier segments, we just want you to stay at home uh, and so on. It starts with gaslighting through love bombing. Uh, we're told that we're absolutely wonderful and we're all going to get through this together, hang in there. And uh, the next thing that happens then, if you want to move through the slides a bit more mm -hmm. uh, quickly, is uh, that the victim begins to identify with and to please the abuser. So the carrot is, you can get out of lockdown, you can get back to work, you won't have to lose your job or your, your education if you just jump through the right hoops. And then, of course, uh, we're not performing well enough, so we start to get denigrated or devalued. Uh, by the narcissistic abuser in John Anthony's scheme. Uh, what happens after that is that uh, we are told we're uh, the cause of the problem. We're making our government miserable. We're upsetting our NHS overlords who, who could cry uh, a river over, over, the, uh, over our sins and our short-sightedness. And we start to blame ourselves for this. The abuse, in other words, increases. We haven't managed to catch the carrot. Then we're given a small piece of carrot, in other words, you know, there's a, a slight lifting of the, the rules or the measures or whatever other unlawful word is used for them, perhaps during the summer. The prospect also is dangled of a family Christmas and we think how kind we are. So then we get the good cop, bad cop variation. Uh, what happens after that? This is uh, the flying monkeys such as uh, 
photogenic SAMI that we were uh, hearing from earlier. Um, they are the government's uh, photogen uh, fly flying monkeys, as it were, because they they come in from left field as we weren't expecting them and uh, hit us over the head and uh, tell us that we're total failures and we're being very naughty. And this message isn't coming directly from the abuser, but from people whom he's used. The, the image, of course, comes from the Wizard of Oz. And there's a lot of message, uh, of analysis of fables and narrative in John Antony's uh, piece, because he's talking about the divide between our attempts to win people to sense logically and the reality that this is subconscious messaging. For example, the idea of the front line connoting uh, ideas of people being blooded in battle and so on. What do we go on to next? We're approaching, approaching the end of the cycle, but the end also becomes the beginning because we then are left to our own fate. Uh, sod you, you're all going to die miserable deaths, gasping for air. You're, it's all your fault, we are told. We're, you're so cruel as the abuser cruelly abandons us. But we're not left alone because the cycle then comes back at a higher rate. Because we're told, I've learned the error of my ways. In other words, what's the latest example in Britain? Uh, the police have learned that they shouldn't be telling you uh, you have travelled too far from your house for exercise. Even that level of detail, by the way, is described in uh, in the state of affairs as of last uh, September in Ireland. So it's it's very closely paralleling what's happening in other countries. And the, and the cycle is going round and round. There's not much new in this cycle. Uh, so quite a detailed interview. There's there's all kinds of terms in it, far too many to, to talk about in a, in a packed news here. But let me pick up a couple of the, the key ideas in it. Uh, control by isolation, the engineering of social pressure, the narcissistic personality. Uh, on screen at the moment is gaslighting, uh, a term, of course, that comes from a classic 40s film, film noir. But the, uh, this is on screen, James Lavery wonderfully illustrating for us uh, what gaslighting is. It's making someone question their version of events. And uh, coming out of the left-hand side of the gaslight there uh, are the messages which are being dangled over the motorway bridges around Dublin. We're with you. That's the, uh, the love bombing. Uh, stay safe, hold firm, which implies that there's a military enemy to face. You know, it means tense yourself up. So it's getting inside your body, denying you the bodily integrity uh, that John Anthony talks about later. Uh, so he keeps flipping between the micro level of, of relationship abuse and the macro level of a state doing it to you, a bunch of narcissistic personalities. Uh, isolating you, supporting you by forcing you to stay at home, uh, obey the behaviours, not the instructions, how fear is instilled. There's so much detail in here. It's going to take you, of course, a while to uh, edit that, Mike, and I would say more generally, people are always very keen for our stuff to come up as quickly as possible. Bear in mind that we're a small team. We don't have magic pixies working for us. And uh, so it will take a while, but it is worth it. Don't read this once when it comes up. Uh, it's part of a massive uh, concentration that UK Column has. I think it's going to last much of the early part of this year on how we are being psychologically attacked. We've come in now from uh, Dr. Bruce Scott, uh, a Scottish uh, psycho um, uh, uh, psychiatrist, I beg your pardon, uh, on this with his article. Uh, we've now got the Soviet angle, and this is the Irish contingent uh, absolutely turning up trumps here uh, with the words and images that uh, help us to see what's happening at the sort of mythic level, uh, the narrative level of our mind, how we're being got at. Um, Alex, this is this is a, an extremely long and detailed article, and uh, you know I, th I think we've got to urge people to make the effort to to read it. I'm going to get it out tomorrow, so it'll be, it will be up on the website tomorrow. But it's going to take a bit of effort to read it. It's not a sort of thirty second uh, drive by uh, read. Um, but if people want to understand what's actually happening to them at the moment, they've got to try to get to grips with some of the concepts that are in that. You know what's going on here? I mean, these are two guys from, well, at least one of them, the west of Ireland with the old gift of the gab. Uh, and you know that world, of course, Mike. Uh, it's it's phenomenally detailed. And this was nearly two hours of phone call. Um, and the, the, the amount of compression of information in there uh, is a lot, even for educated native speakers of English to listen to in one go, if they're really you know, with it mentally. Uh, anyone who's abroad or has come to this lately or whatever, doesn't have brilliant English, is going to take a while to get to grips with this. And, you know, quick readers like myself and yourself are often tempted to think, ah, I've got that. No, you haven't. Come back to it at different times of day and night. Read yourself a section at a time. Read out loud. Force yourself to read slowly. Set a device to read it out to you at a, at a low speed. Uh, all of these, I think you should combine because this, I think, really is the master insight into what Dr. Bruce Scott 
uh, indeed David Scott and all those who are watching the Old Eastern Bloc as well uh, have been saying for a while. It's come to a head now and it, it dovetails very nicely with Brian and my uh, new dispatches from the front series where we take a springboard from Yuri Bezmenov and uh, Anatoly Golitsyn and the other Soviet defectors. Yeah, Alex, thank you. Also, uh, probably we should say at this stage, a very big thank you. We're getting more and more people who are psychology trained uh, or, and, and um, therapeutic trained with psychology who are contacting us to say that they're deeply unhappy with the government's policies. So this is very good because professionally qualified people are now starting to communicate with us. But this attack is coming from the heart of the British government. No mistake about this. This is what the Behavioural Insights team were cooking up. And this is what SAGE and SPY B have been unleashing during COVID. Well, you've brought in cartoons, so we can jump back, of course, to the BBC. We gave a warning a few days ago that the BBC was crowing. It was going to be looking after the education of our children during lockdown and um, came across this with lockdown learning from the BBC. Just wanted to illustrate uh, how we could look at the material. So this is uh, three pages from the BBC website specifically targeted for the education of children. Let's look at what they've put on screen. So the first thing is the BBC's biased hate message for Trump. Of course, this is everywhere on BBC News. If Trump is mentioned, then the article is aggressive. Uh, invariably, there's only one side to the story being put across. But here it is rammed right in front of children so that they should all believe that Trump is a terrible and bad man. It's then contrasted with this sort of thing. This is uh, reality check clickbait. Um, the story is that uh, a lorry driver had his ham sandwich taken because of restrictions over Brexit. And there was more similar, completely dross stories designed to capture the minds of the children, not give them any proper information, but lead them astray. We then reinforce it with the false football role model. We've already had Gary Lineker come up in the, in the news being used by the BBC and the NHS to try and capture our minds. The BBC pushing forward footballers in front of the minds of the children. Uh, then we get the usual thing from the BBC. We've got the false rapper role model, but now we've got death included with it. Uh, this is a rapper and uh, a murder accusation. Uh, we've got uh, a smearing of anybody who's standing up constitutionally in America as being the far right. And the BBC is bringing in the idea in the child's mind that censorship is necessary, needed and essential to stamp out these bad people. We've got the BBC promoting the breakdown of relationships, which it loves to do. Remember, this is not for adults. This is all part of lockdown learning. And it goes on. What have we got here? Well, we've got a huge promotion of government propaganda over the NHS and vaccination. That just gets repeated uh, almost willy-nilly. We've got adverts for Big Pharma, so that if you're in the Big Pharma industry, anything to do with vaccines, the BBC is effectively going to advertise for free. Um, we've got, uh, this is particularly unpleasant, this is death row. We've got death mixed with very disturbing violence in the case, which I'm not even going to describe, but this is put up for children. But it's also got a, a man versus woman overtone to it. I'll leave people to investigate for themselves. Uh, here's Trump again, get that message round home. And if we go on to this uh, page here, what have we got? Well, we've reinforced the football role model. This is more important than learning your math or reading and writing. Uh, we've got more on the COVID. And then we've got a confusing story regarding school lockdown and online education, which is interesting because the BBC is rushing to claim the arena of teaching our children during lockdown. And the final little bit was interesting here. Some beautiful images um, of Aurora Borealis, but there was no real substance of text to explain what it was all about. So there wasn't a learning process. There was just an image as a distraction. Over here, we've got some cartoon science for children, which I'm going to come on to. And here we've got a man uh, baking gingerbread Harry Potter 
um, castles. So this, of course, is promotion of Harry Potter as a role model. So nothing of any good substance for children. This is all material destroying their minds. Let's have a look at this cartoon science. Here we are. Uh, so these two, uh, Maddie Moat and Greg Foote, were interviewed by BBC Breakfast for their work in helping to educate children. Now, to be fair to this very smiling couple, a lot of this was sort of like an updated um, version of children's uh, education. I'm trying to think of the programme now, but a very famous one by the BBC while they made things and came back to it later. So I'm going to say the basis of what they were doing was fine. Yeah, it's gone out of my mind, yeah. Mike, I can't remember it. So here's Dan Walker, and he said to, the, to Maddie, um, uh, sorry, that should be, there are a lot of parents already, who already as part of homeschooling are coming back are probably feeling a little bit exasperated and will be very thankful for the lessons that you and many others are able to teach and just take a little bit of pressure off. So he was prompting them that they were doing some good work. But what she had to say was interesting. Yeah. I think something, well, especially the parents have told us anyway that it's helped them, is to perhaps change the mindset a little bit. And instead of homeschooling, uh, to, think, uh, to think of it as home learning. So we're getting some very interesting, this is a bit of psychology coming in here from this young lady. And rather than recreating school at home, is instead to embrace learning and just let curiosity lead you and instead to lead with themes and passions that children already have. So um, very quickly, Alex, I was just fascinated that we've got, this is for small children, I understand that, they're trying to make education fun, so there's some good stuff in it, but you hear are using these key terms, we're more or less gonna rethink the way that education goes, even though you're running that education at home. Of course, Brian, we can't call it homeschooling because our valued European partners, Germany, Sweden, and to all practical purposes, Netherlands, outlaw homeschooling, putting them in a category together with China and North Korea. I think that's the whole list in the whole world. Uh, those are the countries that forbid homeschooling. So we can't have people de facto discovering that that's what all the locked down Western economies are now doing, uh, allowing homeschooling. So they have to re, uh, repackage it in some way. Uh, the children's pro presentation that you're thinking of is Blue Peter, which I remember yeah, watching very keenly in the 1980s. How could I forget? Thank you very much. Uh, right, let's move on to uh, censorship. And uh, well, this is your active. Um, now, Alex, uh, what, how do we describe your active? Is it actually affiliated to the European Commission? I think if you click through that colophon, the, uh, the white uh, logo in the top left on the yellow background, you will find some uh, European institution funding. I don't remember the details, but it's, it's heavily read by Eurocrats. Uh, and it's in that grey zone, uh, together with politico.eu, uh, of uh, publications that uh, are so close to the European institutions that they do have some measure of financial dependence on them. Okay, so that uh, perhaps uh, adds some light on why they're saying what they're saying. So the headline is, no longer acceptable for platforms to take key decisions alone, EU Commission says. Uh, it's no longer acceptable for social media giants to take key decisions on online content removals alone. Following the high-profile takedowns of US President Trump's accounts on Facebook and Twitter, the European Commission has said, Trump's accounts have been suspended by the two platforms, blah, blah, blah. Uh, speaking to lawmakers on Monday, uh, an official who heads up the e-commerce unit at the European Commission's DG Connect noted how the EU Executive's Digital Services Act attempts to realign the balances between the balance between uh, effective content removal and preserving freedom of exp expression online. Uh, and there's a quote here from uh, uh, somebody, uh, sorry, I've lost his name, but anyway, the quote, uh, says it's no longer acceptable in our view that platforms take some key decisions by themselves alone without any supervision without any accountability and without any without any sort of i sorry without any sort of dialogue or transparency for the kind of decisions they're taking freedom of expression is really a key value in this and i'm sorry if i'm seeming cynical here alex but this is basically the european commission saying uh, well in fact the article ends by saying, uh, by quoting the French uh, finance minister, Bruno Le Maire, saying uh, regulation of the digital world cannot be done by the digital oligarchy. And it seems to me that uh, 
what they're actually calling for here is that the old oligarchy, which is represented by the, uh, the, the European Commission and its leaders, um, are getting a bit upset that the new oligarchy here, the tech company leaders, are taking these decisions themselves, effectively running the show. And they want a bit of a better say on this. This isn't really about uh, protecting anybody's freedom of speech or expression. Oh, absolutely. If, if you look at the French speaking commentary on this, uh, French politics, but generally francophone attitude, there's this big theme and to a lesser extent in the Slavic countries as well, uh, that the old blood or the old, the old ascendancy in Europe has been supplanted by uh, the Silicon Valley. And they are really worried, of course, uh, that, you know, uh, Chancellor Merkel and Mexican President Obrador have said in terms since President Trump was removed from Twitter, this is completely unacceptable. And they went further and talked to uh, Obrador talked about the high handed arrogance of, uh, of Mark Zuckerberg uh, and saying, uh, what, what, what are these rules for being allowed uh, to disseminate information? Who do they who do they think they are? So a lot of European and sort of penumbra of European continental democracies like Mexico are starting to think, actually they could turn the tables on us and we don't want the people who make these decisions to be based in Silicon Valley. It would be far cosier for them to be based in Strasbourg. Yes, that should make us all feel very safe. Uh, but uh, what's going on with uh, the Scottish Family Party uh, with and YouTube? Uh, David Scott has spoken to Richard Lucas of the Scottish Family Party in different forums. Uh, the SFP is uh, quite clearly anti-regime in a number of ways that matter, particularly endorsing uh, policies that will keep families intact and uh, financially solvent without having to jump through the hoops. Uh, it is uh, a party also very known for its uh, opposition uh, to the kind of educational tyrannization that we've been talking about for much of this news. Now, Mr. Lucas, as the party leader, approached uh, YouTube, which of course is owned by Google, so he was speaking to Google people in Palo Alto while he was making this request, and said, uh, what's going on? You're blocking the adverts we have for the forthcoming Holyrood campaign uh, this spring. Uh, Scotland has uh, elections to its devolved parliament in Edinburgh. And the response, uh, as uh, Richard Lucas uh, has given in a statement to us, is that YouTube said that they were blocking our ads because we needed EU election and authorization, even though these weren't election ads, they were just general party campaigns. So he said we applied and we got EU election ad approval. So this is a couple of years ago now. This isn't uh, particularly with regard to Holyrood. What happens next? Then after Brexit, they started blocking our ads again, they being Google and Facebook, uh, sorry, Google and YouTube, the same company effectively, saying that we now need UK election ad approval, uh, even though these were not election ads. Uh, when we apply for UK election ad approval, they refuse because we already have EU election ad approval. He goes on, we asked them repeatedly to just cancel the EU election ad approval, but they won't reply in any remotely helpful manner. They tell us to, here it goes, start a new channel instead, start from zero followers for UK election, in inverted commas, ads. They still can't get it through their heads that this is just general party campaigns here. If we do this, says Mr. Lucas, then we won't gain subscribers and channel browsers through our ads. And he adds, finally, it is difficult to believe that YouTube slash Google really can't see the illogicality of the situation and wouldn't solve it in the obvious and simple way if they really wanted to treat us fairly. I think that's the key question. The application process is, Mr. Lucas concludes, for EU and UK ads are absolutely identical as far as I can see. Now, here is a response that he did get from California uh, about this. Uh, Dear Richard Lucas, thank you for applying for verification to run Google election ads in the United Kingdom for Google Ads customer ID uh, number given. We're writing to let you know that we weren't able to successfully verify your eligibility to run election ads in the United Kingdom for the following reason. The customer ID you have entered, that's your YouTube account, has is already verified for election advertising in the European Union. This has just been sent uh, a couple of weeks ago, so this is after the, the, the definitive Brexit. If you're trying to apply for verification to run election ads in the United Kingdom, please create a new account. Right, so they have to lose all their followers uh, in order to jump through these hoops. Uh, so the latest is that Mr. Lucas has gone back to California-based Google headquarters and said, please, 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 can we sort this out? We don't need EU election approval anymore because the EU is no longer an EU member. We just want to get UK approval for the same account. Surely this should be completely straightforward. Can a person please get in touch with me to sort this out? 
please. Now, those so minded might wish to ask the relevant political representatives and or YouTube and Google at uh, Californian or British level uh, to have a look at this. Uh, at the least, uh, someone is being clumsy here, but it, it seems to be very much another way to freeze out parties that are not regime compliant. Yeah, and I, I find this very this stuff very worrying because on even other minor things, it's almost impossible to communicate properly with a living human being in these organisations. And of course, although they crow their algorithms, the algorithms are usually stupid at some point in your interaction with them. So uh, I think people people should be going for communication with the senior executives of these organisations because they're the ones that should be held accountable. Mm. Uh, right, let's just uh, briefly come back on to vaccines and adverse reactions. And if you remember uh, a few months ago, a couple of months ago, we were talking about the fact that the MHRA had uh, given a contract uh, to a company to provide an artificial intelligence software tool to process the expected high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions uh, and to ensure that uh, no details from the ADR's reaction text are missed. Uh, they went on to say that they were awarding this contract not without the usual procedure for awarding contracts uh, for reasons of extreme urgency under that regulation, 32 brackets 2 brackets C, related to the release of a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and they were justifying it by saying that it was strictly necessary, that it was not possible to retrofit the MHRA's legacy systems to handle the volume of ADRs that will be generated by a COVID-19 vaccine. Therefore, if the MHRA does not implement the AI tool, it will be unable to process the adverse drug reactions effectively. Now, of course, this was part of the uh, MHRA's yellow card scheme, as it's known. Um, so everybody would be glad to know that uh, the, they are not publishing any data on their yellow card website uh, because, well, why would they? Um, in this, uh, you know, free of information and all that, we've got the NHS closing down or uh, restricting access to, uh, to certain data. Um, certainly the MHRA wouldn't provide any. But uh, look, I got an email from Andy, a viewer. And I'm going to say th very thank, thank you very much to him for it. Um, he was saying he was looking at the data on adverse reactions to the COVID vaccinations in the UK. Unfortunately, it looks like the MHRA yellow card website doesn't have any data readily available. What I have found is that the uh, USA CDC is pu publishing Pfizer COVID-19 adverse reactions here. Uh, and this is the website, the AVERS uh, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System data. Uh, and uh, so he provided me with a simple Excel analysis uh, of this data. And he wanted to highlight that the data shows a worrying start. Particularly worrying is that the COVID-19 data was only relevant for 15 days of the year's worth of data. Uh, but he, his key point here is that COVID-19 is already the third highest adverse reaction vaccine uh, in 10% of reports for the whole of 22, uh, 2020 based on just 15 days. So whereas all the other vaccination types were for the entire year, the COVID-19 vaccination uh, data was just for 15 days of the year, but already it was up to the third place on the table. Um, it shows that 11 people have taken the vaccine have unfortunately died, uh, but the average and the average age of those was 79. It says that 956 individuals are reported as having not recovered from their symptoms. Um, and uh, the, that remains to be seen whether they do. Um, now, he found a news article, uh, this one from Syracuse.com headlined COVID-19 outbreak at Auburn nursing home infects 137 residents, kills 24. And the key point here is that uh, this only happened following the vaccine administration on the 22nd of December, uh, the first deaths on the 29th of December in this care home. Now, there's been no announcement of deaths uh, on this yet, but the Daily Record this morning saying the first care home to receive the vaccine in Sc Scotland has been hit with a new COVID outbreak. So we uh, wait to see if, uh, if people uh, you know, pass away from that. Uh, but it's starting to look like, uh, for some at least, the effects of this vaccine aren't so good. Um, and uh, well, the question is, will there be any honesty uh, from the British government about the situation in this country? And any honesty and any proper reporting on concerns and risks to the vaccine? Yes. Uh, moving on, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, Alex, uh, defence news and uh, European defence news. It looks like uh, uh, Britain is not out of European Defence Union. 
No, because the Germans and the French have to replace their tanks, their main battle tanks, in short order, the French famous Leclerc tanks and the German equivalents. Uh, and the headline here is British military looks to the Eurotank as it weighs its hardware options. Uh, Defence News tried to call the German Defence Ministry and according to Defence News they were tight-lipped about saying what Britain's role would be. Uh, a bit of editorialising adds that Britain might go ahead with a dedicated tank strategy as part of the Defence and Security Industrial Strategy Review. What David Ellis has been hammering on about for years, uh, quite rightly, is defence industry uh, being uh, part, of, part of the, uh, the, or the main part of the stitch-up of Defence Union here. Uh, and what, what this would involve would be a consortium of BAE, British Aerospace as was, uh, together with Rheinmetall of Germany. Similarly, BAE is in consortium with two continental suppliers, one of whom is Leonardo, the Italian supplier that I think we may be talking about in extra time a little. Uh, I think some viewers will recognise that name from recent news. Uh, but so Leonardo, together with BAE and Airbus, uh, formed the consortium MBDA. And the British F-35B variant, the new strike fighters, which we're told at some point will be flying from the Queen Elizabeth uh, air carrier, uh, it's now been decided that the F-35Bs are going to have uh, this particular uh, missile uh, supplied by MBDA, the Spear 3. So they're uh, quoting the team leader there, Colonel Martin French, uh, what a wonderful name, the Defence and Equipment Support Lightweight and Medium Attack uh, system team leader saying uh, we're going ahead with this. So Britain and particularly BAE are not producing tanks or missiles in the next generation on their own but just as before as part of an equally uh, European particularly German, French and Italian consortium. And, and so what we're really highlighting there Alex is that the idea that we've completely separated from the Euro European Union project is simply not true in a military sense everything is continuing as normal would that be correct we can't see any evidence to the contrary there uh, we cannot see a particular defense industry strategy at this point uh, we could cut the government a little slack and we could perhaps give them half a cheer for insisting that defence and security, particularly defence, should not have gone in the, the main deal announced on Christmas Eve. Uh, but the pressure, I think, needs to be kept up now for a distinct British flavour and independent production to be the policy uh, with the defence industry strategy. Otherwise, de facto, we are in the European Defence Union. Yeah, and we'll, we'll report more on this over the coming uh, days and weeks. Uh, Alex, I think we're out of time, so we're going to say thank you very much uh, for that. We are doing an extra time, yep. though. Um, we will cover some of the material that we've still got at the moment. As always, uh, thank you very much to people listening in. Thank you very much to people from overseas. We're getting more and more different countries uh, joining in, which is utterly uh, fascinating. So if you're listening to us for over from overseas, thank you. Uh, for your attention and uh, we hope that you're picking up on the picture we're building of the UK now rapidly moving into a dictatorship under the smokescreen of Covid. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.